virgin all the way. Oh, and it's a beautiful goal! What a City off to the perfect start with three points. It's the Hammers this weekend for the Foxes. We give a full match preview. Also, we've got the second worst third kit in the world. We've got a stadium redevelopment to discuss. It's an hour and a half long episode, so strap yourselves in for for Fox's sake. Hello and welcome to For Fox Sake. My name is Pete Selby and alongside me once again is Rob Hayes. Rob, we are off and racing for the season and we've got a win under our belt and we're looking forward to the uh, the big game this Monday against West Ham. All is rosy in the LCFC Garden. Isn't it good to have Premier League football back? Isn't it good to have the fans back? Isn't it good to win football matches in front of the fans in the Premier League again? All of the above, I completely agree with. And at this stage of the week, being a Thursday, uh, we are pretty slap bang in the middle of the two games because of the delay to the game being on Monday nights, being the Monday night football. So there's plenty to look back on. There's plenty to look forward to, and there's actually still an awful lot happening away from the actual games, even though the season is underway, and there's obviously the the other games in the Premier League to kind of half discuss and that. So what we'll do, we'll just throw them all in a massive kind of uh, pot and, and stir them up and have no particular order and just kind of jump from one to the other. We'll start, obviously, with the game. And kind of link off to different things regarding players and, and things that have happened in the last few minutes. Breaking news. Alarm. But um, a 1-0 win against Wolves. And there, there are so many angles to this game, Rob, that you can look at it from this time of the week. You can look at it as saying, right, three points is all that matters from a first game of the season, especially at home. Uh, a battling performance where they had to cling on at times and defend well and really throw themselves in front of the ball and, and, and do all the things that you want a Leicester side or any side that you support to do. But also, at the start of the season, it shows that everyone is fully fully up for it, you know, straight away. Um but then you can look at it on the other hand and say, well, it wasn't the most fluent second half especially and there's an awful lot to do, uh, an awful lot to build on um, and it and it wasn't quite the the performance maybe everyone thought. Uh, so, you know, worrying times, this, that and the other. You, know, you can look at it in, in so many different ways. Um, I, I will just start with me. First of all, the points. Absolutely vital. Get the three points. Vardy scoring, which is what we said. Get Vardy scoring. Uh, get three points. And and I don't mind what happened in the second half, really, because we do not know how good a side Wolves actually are. But they do have one player, and there are certain players in the Premier League who who carry sides. We um, 
I think I mentioned it on the podcast before, but we like to, uh, me and a few mates when, when we've had a few beers, we always get onto the the topic of which is the side that has the one pl- has one player who means the most to their side. Who is that one player um, in Premier League football? And I we always say someone like Will Saha for Palace. Without him, they are dramatically reduced, and because he has such a big impact now. Last season, you could say that maybe Jimenez at Wolves could have been that player because without him, they suffered really... Well, they were not even half the side, were they? But Traore is such a a strange footballer because he's absolutely massive. And when he's on his game, he is essentially impossible to stop when he's running with the ball unless you unless you foul him or unless you time your tackle really well because you're just not going to outmuscle him at all and this is the guy who completed more dribbles here i mean stats are thrown all around now but um this one i thought was very interesting when you're trying to explain to people how well he played or how much of an impact he had on the game he completed more dribbles himself than any team put together in this first weekend of Premier League football. That just shows you that he was on it, apart from when it actually came to putting the ball in the back of the net, which thankfully for Leicester was the case. So that just shows you when a guy like him is, is really on his A game, apart from the finishing, it it will turn into that kind of match. So overall, I am absolutely delighted and I'm looking forward to the West Ham game. Traore's ridiculous, isn't he? I, I can only imagine the fear that is struck in within defenders when when he whenever he gets the ball and he gets the ball quite a lot because as you say he's a, he's an excellent outlet for them he's an he's an amazing ball carrier thankfully for Leicester and i think frustratingly for Wolves not just in the game at the weekend but you know in in his entire career there so far thankfully he can't really kick a ball uh, and that's uh, i mean i mean that in the nicest way possible because he's obviously a premier league and international footballer but really he he should have had even more of an impact on that game. Do dribbles do dribbling stats matter? I, t- I completely take your point. It is, it is a remarkable stat, but do they actually matter when you when you decide lost one nil? No, they don't. Do they prove his importance to the team in terms of what he can offer them in in terms of creating forward momentum? Yes, but ultimately he didn't score, and uh, our man Jamie Vardy did. So that that's that really. It was a strange game. And it kind of mirrored the the Wolves game that I watched their last game of pre-season where they were rubbish first half. They didn't really look at it. They weren't really, I wouldn't say interested, but they weren't they weren't particularly uh, intense in their in their style, which is something that their manager has very clearly stated that he wants to see from them. And then half time comes and it's a big switch and exactly the same thing happened against Celta Vigo. And only time will tell really whether whether that is at the moment a conscious effort where the manager doesn't seem to think that they can sustain that for 90 minutes. So it's like, get to half-time, nil-nil, or possibly a goal down, and then we'll go and absolutely give it everything for the next 45. If that's an actual tactic, then they're going to come very unstuck in the Premier League because there will be sides who will be more on it than we were in the first half against Wolves, who will stick three or four past them before they know what's coming. Um it might also be a case of uh, of things that we've said on this podcast about Leicester before, where a team can turn up for 
the first 45 minutes and look completely different to the second 45 minutes and you really got no idea why. And for Leicester, it was kind of a bit of both uh, under Brendan Rodgers. So, uh, we found a little bit more consistency, you've got to say, um, in the last six to ten months probably. But you would sometimes see a brilliant performance from the first 45 minutes and then to come out after half time and not really get going again. And then sometimes you'd see them absolutely flying from the first whistle uh, and then they'd come out in the second half and not really get going again. So it's kind of like, I don't know what, don't know what Wolves are going to do this season. So really in the grand scheme of things, the first game, there's no form, there's no momentum, there's no real uh, points of comparison. It is, as you say, three points, get them in the bag, move on, Vardy amongst the goals. Ricardo, as we said in the previous podcast, looking absolutely back to his best. He was excellent down the right-hand side. Fantastic assist. Real confidence and quality to get between the two Wolves players and whip in the ball that we've seen Jamie Vardy convert numerous times in a Leicester shirt before. So the the way we've got to look at it, I think, is is step back, three points, clean sheet, and, and a very sort of hard-earned clean sheet. And Vardy on the score sheet. All good. Yeah, another 1-0 win. And Ricardo, I think Ricardo and Vardy are very easy to pinpoint as, as the highlights. And um, I think that's exactly what we'll do. I think because Ricardo, it's not only his his fitness, which is now obviously back to what it needs to be to be a Premier League footballer, but also just the confidence to try that, was it chop? I'm going to go for a, a chop manoeuvre. Um a, a violent kind of half Cruyff turn that um, Ronaldo possibly would be the one player that kind of comes to mind regarding that specific manoeuvre. And to do that, to even try that, shows the confidence of the guy. And he, uh, I think he also appreciates playing with Iosi Perez as well because when he goes down the wing, he knows that Iosi will then drop in deep. And we know what fans think of Perez and, and and I generally think that that is an area of the side which Rogers already said actually in in his transfer dealings that's uh, I think if you're going to improve the Leicester side it certainly would be the one place but he does such a good job as well dropping back and doing the bit of dirty work that that you do need but when you've got someone like Ricardo that becomes even more vital because he can just now bomb on try a, a chop between players it works out it goes between legs he then gets to the byline pulls it back, and Vardy, whether it's flicking the ball um, again with the between legs and then with the back heel, uh, which we've seen on many occasions, Man City away last season, England especially in Germany, but it was this time just the outside of the boot, kind of a flick past the keeper, brilliant, absolutely fantastic goal, quality goal, great for Vardy to get off the mark, he looked Razor sharp, I thought, and missed a few chances, you know, but getting in those positions, really excellent. And then second half, it was a case of of throwing your body in, against shots coming in, against trying, trying to just basically... It, it, it was when you bring in someone like Thomas and when you have Amati there, it, it's that aspect of the game which I find find intriguing because... It's it's all very well slotting into the system and saying, right, positional-wise, can they? Of course they can, because they're drilled uh, all the way through the week in those positions, okay? So there's no problem there. It is just that match sharpness that we talk about with forward players getting on the end of things for Vardy, being able to 
be that winger and be the, the, the player that we've seen before when it comes to Harvey Barnes on one side. Has he got the pace? Has he got the confidence? Yes, it looks like he has back. Uh, and also with Pereira, for a completely different reason, even though it was an injury as well, but different injury completely. Has he got that confidence? Yes, he's back, isn't he? When it comes to the defenders, so that's the match sharpness there. When a player has a last gasp block, it might look slightly desperate, but it happens all the time in football. And to be sharp is as a defender is to make that block, because if you're not, you're too late, and then you're behind or you've conceded. And Daniel Armati, after the really good performance against Man City, no surprise to see him um, come into this, or stay in the side, should I say, really, ahead of Vestergaard, who who came on, we know, and more on him in a minute. But um, I, I thought he played really well. Typical Amati performance. Again, you're going to make one or two slight errors, but centre-half, like him at centre-half, because it, there's less for him to do. Um, I don't think he'll probably start there against West Ham because Vestergaard would have had a full week and he would be the, the natural centre-half alongside Soyuncu. Uh, Thomas as well, coming into the side for Ryan Bertrand, the killer of most FPL teams, I'd imagine Bertrand would be on many people's lists, and he is out through COVID, which has its own problems possibly, but we'll we'll kind of gloss over that because there's no use speculating uh, until something actually happens or that something doesn't happen. And uh, and yeah, so I thought the defence was excellent, and even though at times it maybe looked a little bit uh, last second, but no, not a problem with that because again, that is. That is defending. That's what they have to do. And again, against some really, really exciting attackers. And in our preview of the game, we we mentioned about Wolves having a young side that's going to just develop all season. In and in all the preseason pamphlets and and um, pullouts and that I've read, and there's been quite a few. I think the last count was six. There was only one the other day actually. I read that I missed out on, and. Every single time Wolves was mentioned, it was exactly the same. Very similar, actually, with Leicester, to be honest. But it was very, very similar of, we do not know. We've got a new manager. We're just going to try and build. We've got some really good young players. Who knows? Are they going to sink or swim? And from this one game, it looks like they're going to swim. It looks like they're going to be very solid. And it looks like those players who faded last season and with the responsibility of leading the line or trying to get goals from midfield because of the absence of Jimenez it looks like they're going to be okay and it's uh I think it'll be quite an exciting season for Wolves but but back to Leicester not a problem with the result not a problem with the the performance and again we roll on to the game against West Ham clean sheets give defenders confidence it's basically the same as getting Jamie Vardy on the score sheet at the other end and it doesn't really matter how you do it and you would expect against a team that weren't very attacking minded in the first half particularly they had a few breakaways didn't they Wolves but nothing significant um you would expect to come under some pressure in the second half as that team tries to get back into the game first competitive game under the new manager um players coming on to prove that they should have been starting to to sort of get in the manager's favor that kind of thing you would expect it uh it was more testament as you said, to the players in terms of the fact that they could shift formation mid-game. Um, and Rogers himself said that it's something that they'd worked on in the week in training anyway, to know that if Wolves did get the upper hand in the game, that Leicester could 
change things either shape-wise or personnel or, or a bit of both if necessary uh, in order to to match up against their, their system. I, I said that we'd be able to exploit wide areas at times if we were on top and, and we did, um, but then it, it works the other way in the sense that they have got uh, additional players in other areas, particularly with playing three up front where they can cause you a lot of problems. So, yeah, really pleased for... Vestergaard to come in, having basically trained for less than a day, really. Um, Samari looked good when he came on. Luke Thomas is is just growing in importance to this squad game by game. Uh, I think I'm pleased really for, for him and for Leicester that we're not relying on him as the first choice left back uh, right at this moment because... There are lots of areas of his game that are still very much in development, and uh, and you know the mental aspect of it's a big one. He's dealt with a lot of big occasions so far. Don't get me wrong, but there's a lot of pressure and scrutiny that comes with being the player that starts week in week out at left back for a side that are pushing for a European place again this season. So to have Bertrand there to to guide him through this season and and the next few will be great. But brilliant to see about his mentality that they didn't find out that Bertram will be unavailable until pretty shortly before before match day. So for him to just come in, he'll, he'll have known, as most of us predicted, that he wouldn't be starting at left-back. So to, to be able to come in and deliver a mature and assured performance like that is is brilliant for him and brilliant for Leicester because it shows that there's tremendous strength in depth at left back and then when you get Castagna and Justin back there's excellent strength in depth at right back Vestergaard coming in to, to centre back and I completely agree with you Pete I think he'll start on Monday against West Ham Amati's fine he does a job but he's not there to do the job uh, for 90 minutes uh, for 38 games a season he gave the ball away in a couple of horror moments let's be perfectly honest um, but then he puts in that block against Kilman that, that basically saves two of the three points that we won. So Vestergaard to come in, yes. And when Evans is back after the international break, all of a sudden that defence is looking very, very strong. It does. And we'll mention Vestergaard now because the signing was made pretty much just after we uh, we dropped the previous uh, podcast or a day later or something. But it was a guy who we mentioned, Tarkovsky, more than likely just finance-wise. And then he goes and scores that first goal on the uh, on the three o'clock kickoffs for Burnley. But uh, it shouldn't have counted, but never mind. Vestergaard comes in. The interesting thing with Vestergaard for, I, uh, is his passing because... We don't see Vestergaard apart from when we're scoring nine past Southampton. We don't see him unless Man United is scoring nine past him. And we know his qualities because of his height. And on the previous pod, we we went on at length about how that would be really beneficial for Leicester at both ends of the pitch. But his passing, that is hands up in the air. You know, we don't know absolutely everything in the world, but that has completely passed me by. Rogers after the game waxing lyrical about his passing, and and you could see on uh, when he came on, um, his passing just straight down the field, not high, not big long passes over the top, but direct, um, along the grounds, but sharp passes to the midfield, and 
that was just part of the game. I, I can't really know he can kick a ball, but you would look at a guy of that height and go, well, you can see why he's a centre-half and what his qualities are. Not his range of passing. That's just a, a complete bonus for me. It really was uh, slightly out of the blue for that to be one of his, his plus points, almost like a, a football manager thing when you, you, you're signing him and you go, oh, that's fine, you realise his passing's actually... You know, 14 or 15 out of 20. No, really? I thought it would be six. But, uh, yeah, great that we've got him in. I think he's going to fit in absolutely perfectly for all the reasons that we've mentioned. And uh, and especially for the attacking aspect as well. Just to reiterate that, I, I really do think it's going to be... He's going to be a guy... I think he's going to score a fair few goals this season because of, um, because of when you look at when Leicester go forward... There's not a lot there in terms of height. There really isn't. So for him to be coming forward, I know he's going to be the main man to be marked, but he's going to be the main guy, isn't he, to to get on the end of things. You know, not many people are going to be able to stop him because of his height. So I can see him coming into the side. I completely agree with Thomas. There's just so much so much depth to the squad once everyone is back, and it's just not going to hinder his his development at all by not being the first team player being a first team player at Leicester you need to be absolutely top quality which he he, he is in many aspects but he's still a developing footballer and then you look at someone like Harvey Barnes or even um, Kieran Dewsby Hall who who didn't come on but their ages and how long it took them to establish themselves not only in the first team squad with um, KDH but with Barnes in the first team, and it's still that's still a fair few years off what uh, what Thomas is now. Uh, mentioning Harvey Barnes, the 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 new deal, the new deal's just been released. Uh, he's signed a new contract, which I think everyone thought was going to happen till twenty twenty five. So that's a four year deal, and it's going to be improved terms, uh, more than likely to be in line then with all the other first genuine first teamers because that's what he is, isn't he? And I just think it's just an no, absolute no-brainer. And if anyone comes sniffing, there's been little words about Liverpool being interested, whatever. But if someone was to come in for Harvey Barnes over the next two seasons or so, it would cost an absolute arm and a leg. It really would for a player in his position of his age, etc. And also, more than likely, international standing, which would be great because that means he's playing well for Leicester. So, complete no-brainer there. And... Um, and yeah, I'd imagine, just back to Vestergaard, I can't see any reason why he wouldn't start, unless it's a, a real fitness issue, but for him to come on and play, what, half an hour or so of Premier League football after just that one session, you you can't see him not really starting against West Ham. I can't see any reason why Almaty would carry on at centre-half. Again, a good replacement when needed. He knows his place in the squad, and he seems to be absolutely fine with that, and why wouldn't you be? Paid handsomely to be a squad player in a top five Premier League side and you're winning trophies, you're getting medals. Not a, I don't think there's an, you're playing with a load of mates or you've been there for a long time. It's just, everything's fine. Um, the, the one player in the squad, because we've signed Vestergaard, I know I've covered a few subjects here for you, Rob, but the, because we've signed Vestergaard and the swiftness of the deal, uh, the 15 million quid, which we were saying is probably what it's going to be, it was... Done very quickly. I'd imagine it was fairly upfront. So he's, I think it was like fourteen million upfront, and maybe a million or two in in little add-ons here and there, for probably in the amount of games. So it's great that Leicester made the investment straight away. I'd I'd 
completely imagine it was away from what they were willing to spend on um, maybe a new winger or or even go into the transfer market again. Maybe you know the um, the pot was dried. There was no money left. So they've, it's, that's great from a, a city point of view that they're willing to do that because of the the hole that appeared in the squad with Fafana. Uh, it I, I surely it means that players will be leaving, and um, and maybe one of those players would be someone like Mendy who who had that kind of Armati position in the squad where he was just happy to be in the squad. That's what he mentioned when he signed the new deal. This more than likely would push him towards the exit door, especially with Samari coming on at the weekend uh, as he did. So, uh, so yeah, plenty, plenty to be enthralled about. Harvey Barnes deserves that new deal. As much as it's good news for, for Leicester, good news for the supporters, good news in terms of the fact that he's definitely staying at the club at least this season, he deserves it because he's been incredible um, since he's coming back from from that loan spell at West Brom. You know, we were we were seeing him as this sort of raw, pacey ball carrier that came back from West Brom, uh, and you were thinking, right, give give him a bit of game time, see what he can do, see if he can liven things up a little bit in the final third. And he he has far surpassed um, most Leicester fans' expectations, definitely mine, in terms of the sort of. Uh, continued improvement that we've seen from him when you know when he first made his sort of breakthrough he could beat players for fun but the end product wasn't quite there and then it became a a bit of a a conversation didn't it amongst ourselves amongst himself uh, Brendan Rodgers and then all of a sudden you know the form that he showed in the first half of last season was absolutely outstanding and I've got no doubt whatsoever uh, that he would have been right in contention for the England squad in the, in the summer for the Euros. So he's got the number seven shirt. He's got a brand new contract whereby his weekly wages will be even more handsome than they were, one would imagine. And from a business point of view as well, it protects his value. It means that should he get to the point where he feels like he needs the next step up, then Leicester can make sure that they get a, a suitable financial reward for that. So it, it works for absolutely everybody, and I'm very, very excited to see what he can accomplish this season. I think, yes, if you're talking about squad depth, the area that we are most blessed with bodies in is central midfield. And ultimately, you would expect, for the most part, us to be playing two central midfielders per game. Uh, and those starting central midfielders are Tielemans and Ndidi. And Samare, from what we've seen so far and what, what Brennan Rodgers has sort of talked about, he's not a million miles away from knocking on that door. He's he's going to find it very difficult to displace Ndidi and Tielemans for an out-and-out starting berth because Brendan Rodgers talked up Tielemans as, as being very harsh on himself for his performances uh, with Belgium at the Euros. Uh, he had a few weeks off, not not an awful lot of time. Uh, and Roger said he's back. You know, that game against Wolves, he did a lot of work off the ball. Uh, his positional sense, his tactical ability, everything about him is world-class, Yuri Tielemans. Uh, and then, indeed, he's probably one of the best defensive midfielders in the world right now. So, Samari, for Samari to already be being talked about in those kind of conversations is a real positive for us as a club and as, as supporters because it's a new signing that looks like he can challenge the very best players at the club 
for for their shirt. I don't think he's going to get it off them this season, but he's going to have lots of opportunities to play in the Europa League, for example. He's going to be brought on if if you need some more physicality in the midfield for the last 20, 25 minutes of a game. He's not going to be short on, on game time this season, I don't think, Samare. And I don't think he'll have what expected at 22 to wander in and and be starting straight away. Chowdhury to Newcastle's another rumour that's uh, gained a lot more traction again in the last few days. Big question marks over where Dennis Pratt now fits into this team. You know, Dewsbury Hall seems to have impressed. It's seven central midfielders for two spaces. It would make sense for, for Leicester to offload one, possibly two. And, you know, if that frees up a little bit of wage money even to to bring in a winger to to complete the the squad really then that would be fantastic uh, but if it doesn't you know right wing is a gap that can be plugged more easily than center back and you know I don't know the ins and outs of the transfer policy at Leicester City or what money is available this transfer window but if if it was one or the other, then you would imagine they will always have gone for the centre-back because it's a specialised position where if you're a world-class footballer like Wilfred and Didi, you can probably you can slot in and do a few games there and not, not get found out that much against certain teams. But right midfield is less of a specialised position in the sense that, you know, you could... We, we, well, we've seen it with Castagna and Ricardo operating sort of in tandem down the right-hand side. Absolutely fine. You've got the opportunity uh, to to start Mark Albrighton. He started more games than I think most of us would have expected him to last season. He's still knocking about. Um, you know, when uh, you, you could maybe, if you wanted to play a little bit narrower, you could slide Madison across to the to the left side so he can cut inside on his right. You can move Barnes to the right hand side. You could drop another central midfielder in from that uh list of options that we've got. So it would be the final sort of piece in the jigsaw for me in terms of completing a fantastic transfer window. But it's not the end of the world if we don't get that right winger this time round. Yeah, you know, I think more than likely it's going to be a, a Jengiz under kind of scenario where you're going to sign someone on loan with a view to a move and if they sink or swim, we'll deal with it at the end of the season. It became apparent, I think, fairly early that Jengiz under was never really going to work out and they'll just give someone else a, a try. I think it'll probably be very late. I think there'll be a, a lot of signings made late in this window. The last few windows, for various different reasons, I know the previous one, because of what was happening at the time, hardly anything happened. And, and for the previous few years, it's been fairly quiet on that front, very, very late. I think the, the week leading up to the deadline has been has been quite busy. But I think this year, there's going to be a, a fair amount of movement. And again, we still haven't had the, the real big boys. Today, uh, Robert Lewandowski has mentioned that he wants to leave Bayern Munich I don't know, for, for an extra uh, challenge in his career. What, what's he think? What's he doing? Um so uh, there's there's all sorts still to be sorted there. Surely um, Pratt would leave. I think just from a finance point of view, if you've got a guy there who you'd be looking at 20 million quid, roughly what we paid for him, what, 20, 24 million. I, I can't see any reason why you would not want the same amount of money um, for a guy who 
has done okay at Leicester. He's not been able to force his way in that first team midfield, but because of extra signings and, and the players that you mentioned, it's just we, we've kind of moved on slightly and, and the emergence of, of, of KDH, I'm going to carry on calling him. It's, uh, it's just unfortunate. Sometimes this works in football. So, I can't see any reason why Leicester would not keep him unless there is any problems injury-wise over the next few weeks. And just to rebalance the books, and if that means maybe another few go to encourage a, a, a winger to come to Leicester or be able to bring in a, a player on, on the right, then then that would happen. Chowdhury, I'd expect that to go through. I can't see any reason why they would... Unless Mendy... Unless there isn't a deal to be done. Unless... The player feels that actually, do you know what? On the money I'm on at Leicester, I'm just going to sit here for a year, uh, be part of the squad, uh, be a useful member of the squad. You know, not disruptive and ready to play. And we've seen Mendy; he can not play for four months and then come on and look razor sharp and be absolutely fine. And he does that job. So I, I can see Mendy staying if he's comfortable with being now quite far down the pecking order. Uh, maybe just for a year, if that's the case, fine. And then obviously the loan signings, etc., uh, that people can can go off on loan or the, the younger players. So uh, th- they're the main stayers. Um, looking at someone like Madison, with the news that Arsenal are, are pretty much on the verge of signing um, Odegaard for you know, forty million quid, and then also uh, the goalkeeper Ramsdale. I, I can't get my head around that. I know he's an English goalkeeper, and I think a young English goalkeeper moving to a to a big Premier League side is always good, because purely for for the national side, it, it has to be good. I I don't rate him. He, hopefully, he, he he proves me wrong again. International wise, Arsenal, I can't care less. But I I think that's a very very bizarre signing for the money, and also the, just the, the joined up thinking to get rid of. Possibly the best goalkeeper in the Premier League last year, Martinez at uh, Martinez at, at Aston Villa, and then to sign a guy for more money means that the guy that you pinned all your hopes on, Leno, who again I don't really rate, had a poor season last year. I actually think he didn't have a a, a, a terrible year last year. Certainly one that's you you wouldn't sign someone for twenty thirty million quid as a backup. I, I just think that transfer policy is absolutely bizarre. And if they were seriously interested in Madison, which I'd imagine they were to a to a, a point, but they haven't gone the full hog. But if I was an Arsenal fan, I would look at those two signings and go, well, you buy a goalkeeper for twenty four million or twenty five million, maybe even more when a deal gets done. You buy a guy for for forty million, thirty five forty million in that position. Well, if you put those two together, and I know in the world of football it doesn't necessarily work this way, but there's the money that it probably would have taken to have signed James Madison. So if they were really interested in Madison, they could have signed him. They can't turn around and say we didn't have the money. So it looks like he's going to stay. Hopefully the little problem that he went off with is is not serious. And um and we can and we can kick on from there with a with a squad that looks very, very strong. Now we'll we'll come on to the West Ham game in a bit we've got some i've got a, i've got a list of about five things in front of me rob good we we like a list of contents don't we uh, just quickly on arsenal by the way that is in a nutshell what makes them so laughable at the moment they're just they're going from bad to worse arsenal in every aspect on the pitch off the pitch 
that their supporters are disillusioned. The manager may well be a good tactician. He may well be a good man manager, but does he know how to drag a club that's been heading in the wrong direction for many years? Does he know how to drag that back on track? Clearly not on, on the balance at the moment. I mean, to let Willock go is is a bizarre decision because he's proven that he can be really effective in the Premier League. To let Martinez go for for pittance when you compare that to Ramsdale. Martinez is an infinitely better goalkeeper than Aaron Ramsdale. And it's just that inflation that goes with a young English player who might or might not turn out to actually be an England international. I know he was around the squad due to injuries and whatever for the Euros, but... No, you know, he can make one world-class save and then make three howlers all within five minutes of each other. I don't see where that's going to particularly benefit them, although they they were stupid to let Martinez go. Odegaard was in flashes was, was decent, but, you know, 40-odd million for, for that, I don't know. Uh, it, it's just an absolute joke at Arsenal at the minute. A good mate of mine who I play football with up here, we, we went and... Had a couple of beers last week, and he was honestly he had no he had no <laughs> confidence, no belief, no hope. I think hope's the one that's been dragged away from them because you know you can lack confidence in your team, you can kind of not believe, but you you would always always think that there was some hope inside you that they could surprise you or they could win a few more games than you expected them to, or finish a couple of places higher in the league, or or maybe go deep into one particular competition. The hope, you know, you, know, you look at his eyes and his face when he's talking about Arsenal, and that, that hope is gone, absolutely gone. And I can't see signing Aaron Ramsdale for £25 million. I cannot see that instilling much hope in Arsenal fans. No, no. Anyway, back to, back to the list, back to the agenda. <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, uh, last thing, I was, maybe it's a case of signing him, young player, young English player, the time white at the back as well. So they're, maybe they're saying, look, this is going to be our policy. We're going to, this is the way that we're going to go. Even if it means that they're not going to play straight away, we're, we're doing this, this. This is like a big plan. This is a five year plan, etc. Why selling Joe Willock is part of that plan? Because you'd imagine it would be at the centre of it. But there you go. That, that's the one thing. If. For example, Kasper Schmeichel leaves Leicester in the next fortnight for whatever reason. The one goalkeeper I would look around, Sam Johnston had a brilliant season last year at West Brom. I know he's 28 years old, but he's he and he was in the England squad taken over from Ramsdale. He should have been there in the first place. That would be the one goalkeeper I would look at and go, there is your Premier League goalkeeper. If anyone needs a goalkeeper, you've got a guy in the Championship now who is, I think... More than adequate as a as a top flight goalkeeper. Anyway, um, yeah, the list it includes some really good things and some really bad things. Let's let's bring it down to to proper CBBC kind of like <laughs> standards, which it normally is. So I've got some really good things on the list, Rob, and some really bad things. What do you want first? Let's do a bad thing first. Go on. Now on the subject of Arsenal, let's do a bad thing. The bad thing. Okay. The third kit is an absolute travesty. It's a disgrace. It's horrible. It's a mess. I do not like it one bit. And I think most people are probably in the same boat. It needs to be darker with the pink. I don't know why it's not. 
it needs and i know why the logo probably is not the same color because it needs to stand out and it's probably part of their deal that it needs to etc etc it's quite frankly horrible it really is but also if and i know i've i've mentioned about kits before and in the end it doesn't really matter does it but leicester play in blue and they have a away kit slash third kit of white and gold that's the leicester colors if you want to throw in a pink kit one season fine if you want to throw in a black kit one season fine but if you need to have one kit that's white so just sense as well in i know the the the, the mint kit is there but the mint kit's not too dissimilar to the blue in a weird way if you if you think about it in, in terms of kit clashes and color clashes on the field i don't know why there isn't a white kit and also the way that the shirt's designed and the pattern etc i thought a, a yellow version or a, a gold version would have been really nice and we haven't had a a nice gold version for a long time so i don't like that because they had a gold would have been a nice not even throwback but it's it's a Leicester colour. it's not very nice at all and when it arrived and uh, when it when it dropped on um what last week oh my nah nah no no well we we saw the <laughs> we saw the teasers for it didn't we um they'd been released when we last recorded a podcast so we we kind of had a guess at the colors uh, we knew that there was that sort of slate gray a uh, pink combination uh the combination doesn't work quite frankly does it it's it's not very often that i that i strongly dislike a kit um the mint kit i i, I can i can appreciate to be honest with you um but this is this is actually, yeah nothing about it works for me i don't i don't get it to be <laughs> I, i'm struggling to find the words to really to really suggest how I feel about it because it's it's just weird. It doesn't there's there's nothing appealing about it. And and even to you get to the point where if you look at the badge, you can't even see it. No, you can't. There's you can't see the definition. I know what the Leicester City badge looks like. Of course I do. But you can't. It, it just looks like a pink blur. Either the 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 lines are too thick, or the contrast between the pink and the grey is not is not right or ultimately that the entire combination of colors is an absolute travesty i think is probably the easiest way to to explain why it looks so bad and i yeah because i agree with you about the mint thing it's not hugely dissimilar to the blue so if there's going to be a kick clash where where two teams are going to be playing in blue unless they go right we're gonna to have to change kits it's gonna to have to be to this slate thing this pink monstrosity i was a fan of the of the actual pink kit it went down very very well it was a big big seller and it, 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 I, i'm fine with that and i've got no issue whatsoever with pink on football kits let me just clarify that but this pink on this kind of onyx i think they've called it in that combination, no thank you. On Onyx, I mean, it stinks, doesn't it? And and the pink kit, I, why they've they've missed a trick, surely, because it's a different design to the the old pink kit from two years back or whatever it was, three years ago, 
that was a different design. It was this, the standard Adidas design at the time. We all know the scenario. They don't make individual kits really anymore. There is that, which I think is unbelievably lazy, but they have that template that you, you roughly know what it's going to look like. And why they haven't, Leicester, just, or, or even, I don't know whether it's, it must be part of the contract, I don't know, but they haven't turned around and gone, do you know what, we, we need a, can we have another pink kit? Because it's sold so many, it's been three years now, and people who brought the pink kit before, and if they bought it for kids, they'll need another one because they would have grown. And um, and probably over lockdown, the last 18 months, <laughs> adults would have grown as well. So like everyone needed probably a different size anyway. So I, I just don't get it. I don't understand it. It looks terrible. Completely agree with you when it comes... To, and again, people might be looking at this and go, well, hang on, well, does it really matter? But yeah, when it comes to the badge, it's just a blob isn't it when we had the black kit with the gold the gold leicester badge stood out and it matched the white logo just doesn't look right on this and if it was part of the contract then don't design the kit that way to make surely they had to include the logo anyway did it, it looks like they've made a kit and gone right we're gonna have that what about the logo oh yeah forgot about that oh no i've pressed the button now sorry They've just not thought this through. They've not. It's not joined up in any way. It's almost like they've just clicked on it last second. Oh, we'll have, we'll have that as a third kit, and it does matter because they're going to have to use this for that reason that you mentioned. It used to be that it was all the whole the old Sheffield Wednesday conundrum and, and and say Brighton now, where if Leicester have the white away kit, when you play a team wearing blue and white, they then go for the third. It's it's that reason, and you play maybe Everton. I know you can maybe wear the white kit against them, but you more than likely play your third kit. And if you look back over the years, that's when uh, when we wore the red one. I remember at Everton, for example, and I think we played in pink, etc. So they're going to have to use this. <laughs> that's another problem. It's all very well having this kit, but they're actually going to have to bloody use it, which, uh, never mind. Sticking with kits, though, Rob, and I don't like the mint one. Put it out there as well. Don't like it. Um... I'm also not entirely fond of the home kit, to be perfectly honest. I thought he might be a grower, but I don't know. I, you know. Anyway, <laughs> um, it could be worse. It could be Manchester City. Have you seen the new Puma lineup of kits, which include Manchester City's third kits? Uh, they've got an awful lot of huge clubs under their Puma belt. I will just read you off because I have... An image here with with them all on. Um, I can see the likes of AC Milan, Marseille, uh, PSV, Valencia. I think it's the Russian kit as well. Um, and Manchester City. If you haven't seen this, you will see it soon. Because I imagine it will be in the papers. But it's absolutely horrible. It looks more like a, a knockoff um, fake shirt that you might see when you're on holiday. Then actually a proper shirt than actually it is. It looks more like a fake shirt, even though it's real. If you know, it's got Man City written in big letters across the chest. It looks like a pajama top. It's not a football shirt at all. I've got to be honest. I hadn't seen it before. Before you just mentioned it, and I have just searched it as you were speaking there. And oh my goodness me, that's seventy quid on their website. It's unreal, isn't it? It looks like a <laughs> pajama top. It's it's something you'd. It's something if you brought that. If you were eight years old and they and your folks said, "Ta-da, here you go," and you look at it and go, well, 
oh, I wanted a shirt. And like, yeah, that is a shirt. And you didn't believe him, would you? You would not believe him. That's not a no, they've shirt. No, they've either got it from their mate Dave down the pub who got it off the back of a lorry, or they've been on holiday to Spain for a week and they've picked it up at one of them uh, knockoff shops that's never got quite the right style of kit in it. And somebody's just gone to town on this one. Who... Who's put that together? I mean, we're sitting here not slating the Leicester kit. Well, you are. I am. We're sitting here questioning the the design of pretty much all three Leicester kits this season. But goodness me, it could be a lot worse, couldn't it? Yeah, it could have been a lot worse. Because imagine just Leicester City or LCFC. Oh my God, it could be a lot worse. Find it out if you if you've not seen it. Type in Man City third kit. And uh, you'll you'll find it anyway. That's that's enough of the kits <laughs> for one for one year until next week. Um, so that's the bad. On the same day as the third kit was launched, thinking about it, someone at the club must have gone. Has anyone actually seen this third kit yet? Oh no, no, let's have a look. That's absolutely really horrible. That's that's, that's not going to go down very well. Do you know what? Well, let's release it on the same day as the redevelopment of the King Power plans, just to soften the blow for everyone. And sure enough, a couple of hours later on the Thursday, the the plans for the redevelopment were, were announced. And they were not a million miles away from what we all have seen over the last couple of years, the leaked plans. The uh, There was a consultation regarding disability access in the, the new East Stand, which looks to be pretty much exactly what the plans are initially were with these two massive escalators going up. I'm not entirely sure how the concourse thing is going to work there with the concourse along the ground level because the initial plans were to basically eliminate that, get rid of that, have that almost open for people outside of the ground. So the concourse would basically flip around so you you can basically get a drink when you're outside of the ground in the back of the stand, you know what I mean? So at ground level, you can just go to the ground and, and, and the bars are facing you without having to go inside. And then when you go into the ground, you have to go up these two massive escalators to, to kind of the middle level is the new concourse area once you're in the ground. That looks to be the way it is, which is obviously quite a, a bit of work to do. The rest of it, though, to try and use a word, it's sensational, Um bold not too over the top just about right you've got an you're building an indoor arena next to the stadium and you've decided to incorporate all the loads of corporate in there and have a, a walkway to the stand that's that's a brilliant idea for me a brilliant idea because it means that there's not just huge swathes of boxes and corporate seats and all that sort of jazz in the ground the ground is for supporters who are there to watch the football that's great because then when you look at the picture of what it looks like inside the ground it is a fairly simple let's say just extension of the east end because that's what it is all the singing and dancing stuff is behind the ground i love that that aspect and you've got the new indoor arena which is going to just, it's just going to benefit the whole city for a myriad of reasons and sports and, and everything. Fantastic. You've got the hotel and there's a um, a residential block and et cetera and all that sort of thing. So again, just that's just money over money when it comes to the football club. But also that whole area just being done up. There'll be statues there. You've got the big fan store as well. There'll more than likely be 
as well as the outfacing bars. There'll be pop-up bars and all that sort of thing. So you'll be able to go there before a game. Um, you've got the, the multi-story car park hidden behind the east stand, which I'd imagine will have some kind of fancy front to it, again, to just kind of cover it up. And it's, it just looks... It looks right, doesn't it? It's not mad. It's not over the top. But it's just what you need. Do we need that? Yes, we do. We need a fan store. Of course we do. Um, I, there was a building... Down by the, if you think about the ground, west southwest area. So around by the, the front of the ground towards the, the south stand. There was a building there, and it didn't really mention what it was. I don't know whether that's some kind of, because it's near the Memorial Garden. Um, I don't know whether it would be Memorial Garden for supporters. That's been there over the years, that is. I don't know whether that's going to be some kind of museum or, or just like an office space. I'm not entirely sure, but I, lo I love a, a little museum area. The only other thing I would say is, when it comes to the museum part, if they're moving the fan store to a brand new building, then the whole fan store area of the King Power could well be some kind of small walk-in history of the football club museum-y type thing. That could easily happen, and if that's the case, fantastic. Um, lovely. And you've got the Memorial Garden for Vishai, uh, tucks nicely next to the indoor arena. It just looks, it looks right. It, it and 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 it's bold, but again, not brashy or not over the top. And yeah, it it. I I have not heard one person, and I spoke to a lot of people about this. I've not heard one person to go. Do you know what? I'm not entirely sure about it. Or you know, I don't really like the outside. Or do we need a indoor arena? Everyone's just gone. Yep, fantastic. It's absolutely incredible. And not only are all of the plans remarkable, the way that the club released it as well. I don't know what I was expecting, but when it said that the, they were going to be published for the beginning of the consultation process, I thought, you know, it, this is a, an official thing that they have to go through where they'll they'll put up some blueprints on the website or you can download a 20-page PDF brochure and, and have a look through that. I don't... I, I mean, I might have got the wrong end of the stick, but I wasn't necessarily expecting the full video package, you know, narrated by Gary Lineker. I, I felt very, considering it's just going to, I say it's just going to be a load of buildings. I mean, it's essentially the, the future and the legacy of the club for decades to come. Of course it is. But considering it is going to be some buildings, uh, I wasn't expecting to feel anywhere near as emotive or inspired by it as I was watching that video. And I know it's it's a ploy from King Power and from the club to, to make sure that everybody feels positive about it so that they don't get any anybody kicking off or anybody saying, oh, what about this or don't like that bit. Um, and it was very clever to use Gary Lineker to, to be part of that, but... God, that video, I've watched it so many times. And it's not even real. It's not like somebody's put a drone up around this brand new stadium and, and development area. It doesn't exist yet. That's, you know, that's computer-aided design. But it just it just fills me with a lot of even more optimism than I've than than before about about the football club because we were saying earlier, Arsenal have got zero hope at the moment. Us as supporters of a football team, let's let's separate the football team and the club for a moment. As supporters of the football team, 
we have got a lot of hope. We've been inspired and enthused by what we've seen on the pitch in the last few years. We're really, really hopeful, that keyword hope again, that Leicester can just go that bit further and, and possibly break into the top four. But we're really um, sort of satisfied with the amount of success that we've had. Uh, more so, more than satisfied in the last few years. But when you look at hope and optimism for the sustainable future of the football club this has to happen but I wasn't expecting to feel as good about it as I do I was I was I was like yeah for years we've said um people people are struggling to get tickets that want tickets on match day so there is that uh demand there for more tickets and 40,000 I think is a very reasonable extension to go to any more than that you're gonna probably still get empty seats Leicester's not a huge city so 40,000 I think you've got a really good chance of selling that out for for pretty much every game especially if this continued success on the pitch um, shows itself for the next few years and and keeps going Uh, the rest of it like the the new fan store brilliant totally agree with you Pete because to, to move forward into the future I think it would be incredible to have uh the history of the football club there as well and put all of it together it's it, i'm just so so looking forward to it and and i sort of after watching the video for the umpteenth time i just sort of switched it off and, and closed my eyes and sort of tried to imagine myself walking up to the ground for the first time after it's being done and i can only imagine how wide my eyes are going to be and how far my jaw is going to fall to the floor when I see it because it's just going to be incredible. It is. And I I liked how you were talking there regarding about the playing side, supporting the team, and then you got the club. That That is a really important thing that you mentioned there because the team is not guaranteed to have this success that we've got now because of the manager uh, the next one that comes in it could be it could be a flop some players could leave there could be just a bit of a downturn in in form that's not guaranteed but you're not guaranteed success as a football club but what you can guarantee especially the club like Leicester we've mentioned Arsenal a few times Arsenal are all they're it they're, they're, they're at the moment they're really poor they're on a big downward spiral and they're treading water but they tread water still as a massive club signing players for a lot of money and filling their stadium all the time and they're down in, say, eighth. That's them treading water. Leicester going downhill is, because of the size of the club, down to the championship or fighting relegation. So the new training ground and this redevelopment, it just solidifies Leicester as that Premier League club still, which I know sounds bonkers to a few people listening, saying Leicester have fifth in the leagues but you can't guarantee that just because we've got the squad that we have at the moment in five years time it could look completely different for a number of reasons so this just it it just again puts Leicester in that Premier League category and you look at other clubs down into the championship look at Derby look at Forest look at Sheffield Wednesday in the in League One huge clubs who who haven't got this at all and how they're struggling and even if they get promoted if you're a club like say West Brom you haven't got this infrastructure at all so it's going to be very difficult to them to establish themselves you have to be so well ran Brighton 
training ground, brilliant, fantastic stadium. They've got it right. And then they've got the investment coming in and they've done it right. And look at them, established Premier League side now. I know they're further down the league, but you know what I mean. Um, it's it's that's they've done the Leicester. They've done a, a, they've followed the Leicester City template. And, uh, and, and yeah, so that, when it comes to supporting the team, if you're not bothered about training grounds and you're not bothered about expansion, not maybe expansion of the ground, but, the, you know, the, the hotels and all that sort of jazz, if you're just about the football, then this is still excellent news because, again, it just gives you that, that kind of boost and that kind of... Um, that 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 the the ability for Leicester to stay in the Premier League is just to increase more, which is if you're just on about the football, that's that's what you want. That's uh, that's when it's uh, that's when the two kind of overlap, because sometimes you can maybe go on about training ground and two many time people. Are like, I don't I don't care. I don't care about the training ground. I I'm, I care about who's going to play up front and about the actual football on the pitch. I get that completely. Get that, but I think this is more this. This is, as they say, I think it's at Manchester. Yeah, this is more, and um, and also when it comes to going to the games, because there'll be a lot of people, and there's one of them talking right now who are looking at that expansion. I know we're down at the King Power for for media reasons and for commentary, but who knows that how long is that going to last? And and you know, in a few years' time, what's what? I'm looking at those. 8,000 new seats and I'm picking my ticket out because that's going to be one hell of a view from up there and I want to be now going to the King Power on a match day as a fan experience all that new area and all that so I'm picking out my I want front row of the new top tier dead center I, that, I want that to be my seat so even someone like me in, in my position is looking at you know, maybe changing a few things around and saying, right, I'm going to spend the money and, and go there as a fan. So if you're a supporter who's been struggling to get a ticket and to get a seat, there you go. Here's your opportunity. And when it comes to early rounds of the cup, I know necessarily not been the um, the hardest to get maybe a seat, but again, it's going to be really easy now for fans to get tickets. So there is that. And who knows how much more in in, in four, five, six years' time Depending on what happens with the prices, if they're a bit clever that way, I think 40000 is absolutely bang on and perfect. I can't see any reason why it would go higher. Let's be realistic. But if they ever had the th thought of going, do you know what, let's go 45000 Well, you've got, with these plans, the absolutely simple way of doing that is, is by shoving another tier on at each end. Or at one end, like they're done at Manchester City, not to the size, but to, to as a smaller version, just a smaller arch, and stick the bubble wrap on the back, like they've done there. It, or maybe not. It's um, it, it it's very simple, but I can't see that being the case. You have got to be realistic. The size of the city, etc. I think forty thousand is perfect. So yeah, fantastic. Just and I can't wait. I'd I'd love to see a timeline. Now I'm no architect, Rob. <laughs> I'm no. I'm not a builder, but. My, I don't know whether you thought about this or not, but my initial thought was it looks like you'd build the stand first and then they'll move it in place like they've done at Liverpool. So you'd build the stand behind the stand and then move it in over a summer. That would mean that would probably be done first and then the rest follows. I don't know. I'd like to see a timeline. 
you would hope that if we're talking purely from a football perspective again, you would hope that we'd be sitting this time next season with a stadium that's at the capacity of 40,000. There are There is plenty of time, you would think, hope, in the summer to do the disruptive work next summer, the stuff that maybe would potentially limit the number of supporters that you could get in the East Stand, for that to be done when there are no supporters there and, and to get the initial sort of framework done behind it, whatever. So I would expect, and again... I'm clearly in the same boat as you, Pete. No, no builder. No, I, I can't even do my own DIY in my house very well. But you would hope that they'd be able to get the stadium expansion sorted by the start of next season to minimise disruption and maximise the the benefit of having forty thousand supporters in the stadium. The rest of it, I guess, there will then be sort of some kind of access disruption if that was ongoing throughout the season. But, you know, I don't think they can turn around all of that. I know for sure they can't turn around all of that in a time where there's no supporters at the stadium and there's no matches going on. So the rest of it can kind of sort of be done step by step behind fences that people could sort of... It would almost be interesting every time you go down for a match to see what's been achieved in the last couple of weeks since you were there and say, oh, look, they've put, uh, they've started putting in the, the framework of the hotel or, oh, look, there's the shell of the of the new fan store. Uh, and that would be quite interesting to watch unfold, I think. But I, I would say as a, as a supporter with no knowledge of this whatsoever, I would want to see and I would hope to see that Leicester City can get 40,000 supporters in the stadium for the opening game of next season. I think you might be a little bit ambitious there, Rob, to be perfectly honest. But No, um, come on, look, sign off the plans tomorrow. Everyone wants it to happen. I don't see what the issue is there. Get it all signed off. The council are going to say, what, you're going to bring how many min- more million to the, to the city every year? Fine, sign it off. Get cracking. Well, if, if you go back far enough, Rob, if you want to, if everyone <laughs> looks further back... Council and redevelopment of football grounds in Leicester City and also uh, maybe even just getting to the initial stage of even thinking about it. They don't quite go hand in hand. And I know we're talking about different sides in a different era now, but they've put their foot down on many, many occasions when it came to Filbert Street. And then all of a sudden they ticked off a giant flats for, um, for student accommodation. That's a different story, which we're not going to go into. Um, We have received an email, Rob, from a guy called Brendan Harding. Hello to Brendan, who's over in America. Sure, whereabouts in America? He um he just emailed um Fox Eight Podcast at uh, at gmail dot com just to say he's an American who's fallen in love with uh, with football over the last few years and Leicester is uh, are his team. Um and uh, and I just said, oh, thanks very much. Um, why 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 did you choose Leicester essentially and um and obviously you go back to the he says you go back to the the league winning season and all that's happened since and the fact that all Americans or in in America most soccer fans uh, support one of the big boys United Chelsea Liverpool Man City Arsenal a few Spurs fans but um but it's just very easy, I'd imagine, to, to kind of pick Leicester away from them. And then you've got the names, the Vardys, the Tillemans and, and Schmeichels he mentions. Um, it just seems they're very easy to root for, which I think 
I, when I read that, I was like nodding my head going, I can see that from an outside point of view when you're looking at the club. It is a very easy club to kind of go, do you know what? They're my team. You know, if you're looking at a new league or sometimes when a, uh, and it's happened this season, say Sky Sports or BT, they, they get a league from elsewhere. So they'll start showing Bundesliga or start showing Serie A or whatever. And if you've never really taken an interest, sometimes you might pick up on a side and it is just those one or two players or the style or a little bit of recent history. And if that's the case with the Premier League, Leicester are just going to be top of top of your list, really. Um, and then he basically goes on about how uh, how he likes the podcast. So that was it was very nice, uh, Brendan, to uh, to hear from you. And if anyone else wants to get in contact with the podcast, for Fox Eight Podcast at gmail dot com. And again, write in and just say whatever. Whether it comes to you want to hear more of this or less of this, or start talking about the football and less about fan stores or third kids, or maybe. Actually, I want a lowdown of every single kit in the Premier League from Pete, whether he likes it or not, a 1 to 20. I'm putting it out there as a possible feature. But there we go. So, yeah, whatever you want to get in contact with us about, let us know. And that's the podcast at for fox8podcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at FFSpod. FFS for fox8podcast. Um, FFSpod on Twitter. And on Facebook as well. You can find us on there and give us a follow. Um Rob. Yes. Couple of final things. There has been that fan survey everyone's been banding around. Uh, that says uh, 95.6% of Leicester fans are happy with the owner. Which I know a lot of people then turn around and go, oh, what about the four point? Blah, blah, blah. But extremely high. We are top of the league in terms of uh, being happy with our ownership. I don't think we need to go into any much more detail about that. But there is one thing I think we do need to go into a lot of detail about before we give our predictions for the West Ham game. And that is the first week of fantasy football, Rob. Rob, dig dig it out. Dig out the the record player because I think we need a little bit of music here. So this is the top 10 of the For Fox 8 podcast Fantasy Football League, the official Premier League Fantasy Football. If you haven't joined by now, well, you're going to be missing out on the first week's points, but we'll give you the code at the end of the show. Now, the top 10 for the first week in 10th place, and I've not looked at these, so this is off the top of my head here, reading for the first time. Uh, Matip Inyase by Matt Hudson. He's in 10th place on 103 points. Uh, in 9th place, Waka Daka Flame by Ed Leach, 104 points. Uh, Fox's Inman, Trevor Kirk, 105 points in fifth, along with uh, Karachi Breeze by Hafaz uh, Muzamil. Uh, we've got Leicester City by uh, Luke Taylor. Uh, Bean Boys by Miriam um, uh, Prakash. And then we're into the top four. We've got Team Addy from Adam Wise, 106 points. Joint second, we've got Lord of the Ings, good name, by Fraser Hodgkins on 108 points. And we've got another team here called Dakadoo-Doo-Doo by me in second. Insert applause sound clip block. And then in front, by one point, we've got 2021 by uh, Manakaran uh, Kezavan. 
who is one point in front. Well done, Mana Kanda. I've got your name horribly wrong. Um, but I won't apologise because you've beaten me by one point. So well done, Manny. Um, Rob, I pretty much aced the first week and I got a little bit excited, didn't I? You did. You sent me a message to... Well, you know what? I, I just checked the fantasy Premier League app about five minutes before I got your text and I'd seen it. And I'd seen at that stage, you were first. And thought, oh, no, he is going to be absolutely insufferable on the podcast. I thought I'd at least get away with waiting till midweek to hear you blagging about how you're top of the pre- uh, top of the league uh, to the point where you screenshotted it and then uh, a couple more fixtures unfolded the bonus points the subs benches got sorted out and there you are knocked off of top spot so well done Manikandan thank you very much for saving all of us from having to suffer Pete being top of the league although congratulations Pete second place after a week is is pretty decent if we look at how I got on I was disappointed, actually, to score what I thought was a fairly solid opening week uh, score of 79, which actually puts me way down in joint 76th place, which is admittedly probably a little bit higher than I finished last season. And it's uh, above mid-table, but I thought 79 was all right, but it turns out it was only 10 points above average, and it's only good enough in our very competitively, clearly, for being in 76th place at the moment. But I thought that was a reasonable start for me. But yes, you absolutely smashed the first week. Congratulations. Commiserations on being only second. Yes. Um, well, I mean, I'd like to thank my um, my family, my friends, uh, God. Uh, I, I think it's, a, uh, it's just desserts for what has been an interesting season last year because of finishing yeah just just below 20th after being in the that that 10 to 20 area um i first of all mo salah has anyway yeah i've maybe gone gone on too much but um it's uh it's my year it could well be my year <laughs> it's one week in if you do want to join the podcast and there are people still joining the uh, the the league by the way there's uh, what 170 odd people in it um the code is you can find it on social media the best way go on twitter and uh, you can still scroll down the for fox 8 podcast um, uh, twitter handle and you can see it on there but i'll just read it out now um r <laughs> okay r for rogers uh q for we're gonna do a q rob footballer uh q for quentin fortune yeah, R for Rogers, Q for Quintin Fortune, D for Dacker, uh, M for Mark De Vries. Mark De Vries, oh my word. Uh, v for the V in De Vries, uh, and W for James oh Weselowski. James Weselowski. Weselowski. So R for Rogers, Q for Quintin Fortune, D for Dacker, M for the Mark in Mark De Vries. V for the V in De Vries, and then W uh, for Winston Bogard. <laughs> and um, if and if that's not clear <laughs> enough for you, then you're listening to the wrong podcast. 
<laughs> what a complete mess that was. Anyway, um, finally, Rob, we better talk about a bit of football and West Ham on Monday. It's going to be, a, I think, it's going to be a very interesting game. West Ham are are such an interesting side. They either they they, they go three. I mean, they've, they've basically carried on last season. They go three nil up and then concede two or three and draw. If they're behind at any stage, don't rule them out. The game against Newcastle was in, I must admit it was on at work, so um, doing the racing broadcast, it's quite hard to keep a, abreast of actually what's going on match wise. You can see the score and it's on in the corner, but. Every time I looked up, a new goal had been scored for either side. And they are a very dangerous side. I think that's one of the... I think that's a very easy thing to label with West Ham. But they are very dangerous. You look at their side. Antonio up top, who may have picked up a bit of a knock. Um, for now, it's Ben Rama, Bowen. Uh, and then the two midfielders, Rice, Suchek getting forward. And at the back, they're pretty solid. Good goalkeeper. I mentioned at the back they're pretty solid, but it's the way that they play leaves them slightly open. It's it's the it's the maverick Moyes. It's it's unreal, really. It's completely against what you thought that they would be like. But I I think this is a, a very difficult game. I I would expect both teams to score. I think is a, a a very easy thing to mention before kind of going in depth. So I, I can see both teams scoring. Uh, I would be happy with the points straight away. I think getting the points at West Ham is is never a bad thing in this incarnation of, of, of West Ham United. But looking on the Leicester side of things, looking on the positive aspects, I can't see any reason why we can't go there and actually win. Uh, they will give up chances. We've had a, a, a decent record at at London Stadium. I know last season's was a bit of a mess for many off-the-field reasons before the game. But I think Leicester will go there full of confidence. And as as long as they keep things tight and it doesn't turn into a complete mad free-for-all, because I think with the home crowd, and it will be their first home game as well, so all all that, that goes with them being back at the uh, back at home, etc. And it will be a real white hot atmosphere as well because of imagine West Ham and the seasons that they've had in the last say 10 years or so and then all of a sudden they have a remarkable season and then they can't go and watch that that you'd be talk about chomping at the bit to get back in the ground and so I'd imagine it's going to be really loud really really loud and so if it turns into a real barnstormer end to end you'd slightly favor the home side so I would be fully in favour of just keeping it rock solid, even goalless for the first 45. And then let's see what you've got on the bench compared to us, possibly. I I think both teams will score. I think to, to, to maybe go there and say Leicester are going to keep it so tight that they're going to keep a clean sheet, even though their defensive record has been very good recently, I, I can't see, I just can't see that. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go with a 1-1 a draw but I wouldn't be surprised if Leicester nicked this late on and possibly a guy who didn't feature against uh, Wolves at home uh, Pat Sindaka on the bench I, I could see this game um, I can see Rogers standing there with his arm round Daka with 20 minutes quarter of an hour to go saying look lad here we go this is your chance we're live on Sky everyone's watching West Ham's defence is just starting to slow a bit. It's 1-1 and 
Vardy's ran himself into the ground, probably bagged. Um, I'm going to put you on up top, and this is your chance. This is this is the way that uh, it's going to go. And he he, he takes his chance. I, I I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. Leicester, the, the the team that Leicester put out, I can't see there being any problems with any changes. I don't think there will be. Uh, the only one would be maybe Madison. If there's a problem with Madison, what happens there? That would be a big problem. Do they bring in then Samari into the midfield to make it slightly more solid? I think that's eminently possible. Do they bring on someone like Kaleci Inacho and play him in that 10 role behind Vardy and and almost go with the front two and, and maybe the rest kind of just drop it back a bit and say, look, there is going to be that gap between the forward line and the midfield because we're just going to drop deep. And But but that's going to basically try and keep their defence honest and, and, and to a point because there's going to be two players there rather than just Vardy. That could easily happen as well and, and, and not have the players to kind of bridge the gap and then have the ball carriers out wide in, in say, Perez and, and especially Barnes. I can see that being a case. I, I would think Samare would be the more likely option if, if Madison isn't fit or is kind of touch and go. I don't think they'll probably risk him. So uh, apart from that, I can't see any reason why there would be any changes. Uh, yeah, it would be a real bonus if Antonio is injured, though, because he is a, a real handful, a real handful. Very similar, in fact, to Triore, different kind of player. Uh, he's a former winger, Antonio, moved into the centre, hasn't he? But again, if you're looking at physicality, he is arguably probably alongside Triore, that number one guy. You mentioned, mentioned Triore. He is the definition of the term I've used a number of times, um, athlete first, footballer second. He really is. He's a sprinter, isn't he? And he, he's, his football skills are to a certain level, which made him into a Premier League player, but he's, it's his physicality that's got him there first. Uh, if he didn't have that, he would be playing arguably non-league football. Let's let's be honest. Um, so that's the way I'm going. That's the way I'm going. Antonio is a more of an accomplished footballer by far, but uh, fingers crossed he doesn't play. But I'm going to go for a draw slash Dacker to nick it. Well, I've just looked at the Fantasy Premier League app, which is usually reasonably good. Not always dead accurate, but reasonably good at showing whether players are available or not. He's not got anything next to his name, yellow or red, to say even percentage chance that he's going to be out. But, you know, if he's if he's not playing, then I'm going for Leicester to win it 2-1. If he, if he does play Antonio, I think he just gives them that bit more, uh, and I would say 2-2 for that there are going to be goals in this game I watched West Ham Newcastle on Sunday brilliant game of football to watch I, I almost didn't put it on but I was like you know what I'm just uh just doing a few little jobs around the house I'll put it on on the laptop and I'll I'll sort of half watch it but I was absolutely engrossed it was brilliant entertainment uh in terms of the the end-to-end nature of the game the amount of goal scoring opportunities ridiculous game really and the London Stadium has, since they took it over, it's not really been a place of positivity, has it? Let's be honest. But David Moyes has brought back, and and it seems to be a recurring theme throughout this show, the hope to the to the supporters that they can actually, despite what they think of the ownership, despite they they them still struggling to find an attachment to their home ground, um. 
that they can enjoy what they're watching on the pitch and that they can have success on the pitch. So to to have been away for one of the most successful seasons in their recent history, I think you're absolutely right, Pete. It's going to be a, a, a fantastic atmosphere on Monday night. Floodlights and, and evening games just quite often add something extra to it as well. I think Leicester have got every right to be confident. Um, and I think we'll see Samari, Vestergaard, probably, well, you know, it, again, it depends on Madison's fitness, but it might be that we see Samari from the start. Uh, I'd be interested to see how that midfield three would work. You know, you'd you'd expect Ndidi at the base of it to to be doing the job that he always does for you. But if then Samari and Tielemans are both playing as box to box midfielders, really, it would it would be interesting to see how they can impact the game from a little bit deeper starting positions you know because Madison although he pops up wherever he feels like throughout the game usually is playing not too far away from Vardy he's usually if you if you plotted the formation on a static map and you drew him on um, then he would be probably in line with Barnes on the left and Perez on the right if not slightly further forward than them in more or less a central position but be interested to see if um you know, if Leicester have a three-man midfield, how Rice and Socek will cope with that? Because West Ham played a very similar formation to Leicester, albeit with a more fluid uh, attacking midfield trio. One on the left, one on the right, and one through the middle supporting one striker, which was Antonio up top. So if Leicester did play three in midfield with two running from a little bit deeper in Tielemans and Samari, then it'd be interesting to see how, how West Ham deal with that. Obviously, we don't know the extent of the of the squad availability, but I think goals, 2-2, two, two, I'm going to stick with because it looks like Antonio might play some kind of part. So a two-all draw, win a, a home win and an away draw in your first couple of games, three goals scored, one clean sheet out of two, I'd take that. Yeah, certainly, and... Um... Maybe even Vestergaard, maybe maybe Vestergaard to show his uh, his aerial prowess at uh, at corners at the right end of the pitch. Possibly that could be um, be very interesting to see his price actually before the game. But that's another thing. Anyway, that's it for the podcast. A bumper podcast because there's been so much to go through. But end of the day, how often do you get a week where they announce all the plans for a, a complete stadium redevelopment and uh, surrounding areas? They announce a horrible third kit. We get a lovely email. It doesn't often happen, does it, Rob? So there we go. We have ran on, and you've got, uh, what, nearly an hour and a half of listening gold. And also, let's not forget the most important thing. I am second in the fancy football. Hey, here we go. Hey! 